Hashtag blessed. There are over 100 million posts on Instagram with this hashtag. For those of you who don't know what Instagram or a hashtag is, I encourage you to ask your kids or grandkids. I'm sure they'd be able to tell you. But if you look this up on Instagram, you can see pictures of beautiful places, beach vacations, toned bodies, newborn babies, successes, accomplishments, achievements, abundance of all types. And if you scroll down, you'll see uh, posts about recent business startups and wonderful technology, newlyweds celebrating, and fancy cars. And none of these things are bad. In fact, they're all great gifts, good gifts given to us by a loving and gracious Father. However, the problem uh, arises when we are led to believe that this is the only way that God blesses us, that is, by giving us good things. It's a problem when we are tempted to believe that the good life, the blessed life, is, is only one marked by power and success, popularity and achievement. Imagine instead you have a, a single mother who just lost her job. And in her post, she posts about how uh, she wonders how she's going to make her next mortgage payment or how she's going to put food on the table for her kids or what she's, how she's going to pay for that clunking sound in her car that she knows needs to be repaired. What should, what should this woman's hashtag be on her post? Hashtag not blessed? Or how about that man who worked you know, 40 years in his career and he was looking forward to retirement and going and traveling with his wife and seeing the world. And in his most recent status update, he shares how uh, he got a phone call from the doctor. It was bad news. The test came back positive, and he does have cancer. And uh, he only has a few months left to live. What should his hashtag be? Hashtag cursed? Well, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus describes the blessed life, and it is, to say the least, countercultural, if not totally upside down to the way that most of us view reality. But in these pronouncements, these beatitudes, we call them, Jesus describes what a blessed life looks like for his disciples, and we're going to explore these and, and see what they have to say about uh, the king, life in the kingdom of God in general, but uh, specifically, it's, it's a key to understanding the rest of Jesus' Sermon in the Mount, on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. So, Jesus starts out this sermon, um, gathering his disciples to him, and the crowds are listening in uh, behind, and he pronounces, makes these nine blessings about how his disciples will be blessed. And it is important to understand that... Um, Jesus isn't telling his disciples to do something with these Beatitudes, but rather he's sharing with them the, these future blessings that will be theirs in the new heaven and the new earth. Um, the fancy theological word we use for this is eschatological. Uh, these are eschatological blessings where they will be fully realized in the eschaton or the end times when Christ returns. And yet, here's the paradoxical nature of them. They are ours now, these blessings uh, for disciples of Jesus but not yet. Now, but not yet. So the first four really have a common theme of human inability and helplessness. 
First one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, when we think about the blessed life, we don't usually think about poverty. Uh, but notice how Jesus says, doesn't say, blessed are the poor, but rather blessed are the poor in spirit. What does this mean? Uh, to be poor in spirit. Who are the poor in spirit? Were they those 12 disciples that Jesus uh, had called to himself? Or were they the crowds? Were, were the crowds poor in spirit? Or how about the woman at the well? Was she poor in spirit? Or any of the people Jesus healed? The demons uh, that he casted out of these people, were they poor in spirit? Or how about the scribes and the Pharisees? Were they poor in spirit? Or maybe St. Paul. If anybody's rich in spirit, it had to have been that guy, right? That, whew, he was zealous for the Lord. Well, God's word tells us that we are all poor in spirit. Every last one of us. That's what Jesus is getting at here. Y'all are poor in spirit. And the, one, the ones who are blessed are people who realize this, who confess this, who acknowledge this, this objective condition that we're all conceived and born into sin. The simple state of blessed are those who agree with St. Paul when he writes, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The poor in spirit of those who realize their moral bankruptcy and their utter inability to do any good of themselves. The poor in spirit of those who, who confess this and real, realize this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Second one, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Again, when you look on Instagram, you're not going to see a whole lot of photos of people grieving the loss of a loved one and the hashtag blessed on it, right? And yet Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Another way to say this, or to expound upon it, is blessed are those who mourn over their sin, for they shall be comforted. This is, kind of ties into the first beatitude. People who start to realize their condition as poor in spirit, they begin to grieve it. They begin to mourn it. Their own sin. God, it's my own fault. My own most grievous fault. Those who mourn also over the sin and brokenness that they see in the world, they too will be comforted on the last day. There's plenty of brokenness and sin to, to mourn over, to grieve over. You just turn on the news and you see it all the time. We got mourning over our own sin and, and the sin that is committed against us. We mourn over the brokenness in the world. There's violence and chaos and disorder and war and famine and plague and disease, death. There's lots to mourn over. The alleviation of these things, this brokenness, we look forward to being ameliorated when Christ returns. These things will be made right. And throughout history, and from time to time, you'll get some people who say, but if you follow me and do as I say, I will bring you peace on earth. I will alleviate your suffering. I will bring you to the promised land. I don't know if you've heard some of this uh, lately. Uh, some, some, some powerful people have a plan um, to save the world. They, they, they are self-appointed saviors of the world. And uh, they have slogans like this. I don't know if you've seen this one before. Anybody? Yeah, a couple of you. Yeah, well, 
Anybody who's got a plan for bringing utopia or heaven to earth, um, don't listen to them. Run away from them. Uh, this, is, this is a spirit of the antichrist or against Christ. Why? Because Jesus already saved the world 2,000 years ago. And he's going to bring it to completion when he returns. And that's where our hope is. So blessed are those who mourn over the brokenness and sin in the world, for they shall be comforted on the last day. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So this word meek has the, has the meaning of, of, of lowly in condition or humble in, regard to, uh, in regards of, of not being able to provide for oneself. And again, Jesus is usually talking about the spiritual realm, those who are not able to provide their own righteousness. Uh, these are the people that shall inherit the earth. Um, the proud and the powerful, they get their fun now and they think they have the earth now, but... The good news here in this beatitude is that the lowly and those that uh, can gain nothing, uh, they will inherit the earth in the end. Number four, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Again, when we think about the blessed life, we don't picture people who are hungry and thirsty, right? But in the kingdom of God, Jesus announces this blessing upon those who hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. Or another way to say this is those who hunger and thirst for God's righteous saving deeds, namely that he came through on his promise of saving uh, the world through his Messiah, through Jesus. Um, In this beatitude, we also get the sense that those who are hungry and thirsty for God to make things right finally, to to vindicate himself and his purposes, uh, blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for that, for God to come back and make all things right. For they will be satisfied. Finally, on the last day, we will be satisfied in the Holy Trinity, in Jesus, the bread of life. And so here ends that first four uh, Beatitudes, talking about human inability, um, human helplessness, and that those folks who realize this, who recognize their spiritual poverty, they will be blessed. They are blessed. The next four uh, talk about God's blessing on Jesus' disciples and how they're, they're different as a result. So blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Jesus' disciples are merciful. By virtue of their relationship with Jesus, they show mercy. Being merciful is not something that we can opt out of as followers of Christ. Uh, disciples of Jesus do not hold grudges, do not hold resentment and bitterness, but forgive as they have been forgiven. They show mercy as, the, as they have received mercy from God. And so, blessed are those, the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Number six, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, most uh, theologians agree that the background for this beatitude is actually Psalm chapter 24, which reads like this. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. Now, for uh, Christmas this year, I uh, made my wife a napkin holder. And I wrote on it with my little wood-burning tool, Give us clean hands, Psalm 24. Do you get it? Yeah? It's pretty cute, right? 
I thought it was clever. I might start an Etsy shop and start selling them. I don't know. We'll see. But this isn't exactly what the psalmist is talking about, right? Having clean hands at the dinner table is, is not how you have a, you know, a right standing before God. But rather, the key to this, this passage is, is, blessed are those with a pure heart who do not lift up their soul to what is false, who do not believe in a false God. Those who are pure in heart believe in the one true God and his Messiah, Jesus. These are they who have a pure heart. And this is a gift. This is the gift of faith. To have a pure heart is, is something God does for you and in you and works in you, this gift of faith. And so in Exodus, if you remember, um, God said to his people, the Israelites, no one may see me and live. The very presence of the Almighty God is too much for us to bear, us poor sinners, uh, to see the, his, his fullness. And yet... In this beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. One day, when Christ returns, on the last day, we will see God face to face and enjoy his glory forever. Number seven, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Jesus' disciples would be sent out to be peacemakers, definitely within the Christian community, to make peace uh, to, to reconcile people to God and reconcile people to one another. But also, Jesus says later in Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. So this has even greater ramifications, that Jesus' disciples would go and be the salt and light of the earth, to go and bless and bring peace to the world, to bring peace between man and God, and between men. And uh, this peacemaking is to be done in the name of Jesus. In God's name. Uh, you might have heard the quote. It's misquoted from St. Francis of Assisi a lot. Uh, but he actually didn't say these words. But the quote is, Wherever you go, share the gospel. If necessary, use words. Have you guys heard that phrase? Well, we're not really sure exactly where that came from. But it wasn't St. Francis of Assisi. And at best, that, that phrase is misleading. And at worst, it's heretical. God calls us to go out into the world and make peace in the name of Jesus. So the gospel proclamation is very important. And that's not to the exclusion of deeds. Our deeds should follow our words. They should, there shouldn't be a dichotomy there, but they go hand in hand. So when we go out to make peace, we do it in the name of Jesus. Number eight, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus would later warn his disciples as he sent them out on a peacemaking mission, you know, give peace to the house. Um, if your peace remains there, stay there. Uh, but he also warned them, not everybody's going to receive your peace. Not everybody's going to like your message of the gospel. Not everybody's going to like what you have to say about sin and salvation and God and his relationship to mankind. So get ready. Persecution will come. Faith will tell us, though, as disciples of Jesus, that we need not fear uh, this when it happens. Why? Because the kingdom is ours. And this is a marker of the kingdom. When you come in Christ's name and you are persecuted, rejoice. That's part of blessing number nine here. So the first eight use the third person they, but here it shifts to the second person you. So Jesus is talking right to his disciples. 
with this one. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So when you go out and share the gospel and people hate you and persecute you and revile you and speak all sorts of evil falsely on my account, rejoice! Yippee! Persecution! Yeah! This is counterintuitive, right? This is countercultural. This is uh, some crazy stuff from Jesus, right? I remember reading a book by Francis Chan called Letters to the Church. And in it, he talks about meeting some Chinese Christian pastors. And they were telling him stories about running away from the authorities from house to house, uh, being persecuted, getting shot at, uh, having, having their brother pastors and Christians being thrown in prison and killed. And this was not shocking to Francis to hear. What was shocking is that they were laughing as they said it. They were laughing and smiling, talking about being on the run from the authorities. That's a blessing that comes from God. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Those pastors understood that their reward isn't on this planet right here now, but in the new heavens. In the new earth, they would receive the reward, the riches of heaven Eternity with God forever. And so Jesus proclaims these nine blessings upon his disciples that will be theirs in the new heavens and the new earth. And it's only after he proclaims these blessings on his disciples that he calls his disciples to to do good and be good in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. So when we realize our spiritual poverty, that we are utterly dependent on God for all things, And when we hunger, when God makes us to hunger and thirst for his righteousness, his saving deeds, and when he purifies our heart through the gift of faith so that we worship him only, then we are hashtag blessed. You can think about that the next time you see that post, that hashtag. And to the world, this seems odd, these blessings. Seems countercultural, counterintuitive. Maybe even foolish to some. St. Paul writes this, and I'll leave you with this today. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And now may the peace which surpasses all human understanding guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus now and forevermore. Amen.